When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here goes Tilio. Numbers forward for City. Tilio, great pace. Tilio deflected. And Tilio scores. Spraying the ball wide for Tilio. McLaren wants it. McLaren takes a touch. And it's 10 out of 10 for Jamie McLaren. Reeves goes short. No one marking Campbell. Lafondre against Sale. And Sale makes the save! Incredible! Now what's going on here? He's come off his line or something. They're going to look at this. Don't tell them. I think they're going to give a penalty for this, you know. I do not believe it. A second penalty for Sydney. He's seen one effort saved. Might be the last kick of the game. And he's Missed put it, it over the top of the bar! You're joking. I see it, but I do not believe it. Yes, hello again. Good to have your company for the global game here on SEN. Another busy show ahead of us between now and 11 o'clock. Here's what's coming up tonight. We'll review all the Round 11 action in the A-League men's competition and speak to Rado Vidisic about his seemingly unstoppable Melbourne City team. Former New Zealand keeper and Sky Sport New Zealand analyst Jacob Spoonley joins us to discuss that crazy game at the Sydney Football Stadium on Saturday. Spencer Pryor looks back at the FA Cup third round, which saw Newcastle United sent packing and Aston Villa embarrassed. Alicia Carnabas reviews the weekend action in the A-League women's, which saw the Western Sydney Wanderers finally get a win. And Paul Williams on Vietnam's seemingly inevitable march to the AFF Cup in Football Asia. It's all to come over the next two hours on the global game, right here on SEN. Yeah, good to have you with us for another two hours football chat, all in the company of my regular cohort, Alex Brosk, and our new producer for the next three weeks, who is Mark Thompson. Alex Molchinoff is away on his holidays. Good to have you with us, Mark. Good evening, gentlemen. Glad to be here. Excited to be here. And you're from Bonnie, Scotland, and you're an Inverness Cali fan. Absolutely, yeah. I'm excited the Global Games now got two Brits on the show. It's, <laughs> yes, it's, we're, we're taking over. We we're are. taking over. We're colonizing as we normally do. <laughs> uh, Broski, how's your week? Um, it was good. Obviously, that crazy game between Sydney and Wellington with yourself. Um, otherwise, a bit quiet. bit quiet. No, no golf this week? No golf. No time for golf. Not wow. this time of year. Busy man. Uh, <laughs> as ever, we love to hear from you. Give us a call, 1300 01 1170, or text us 0457 736 736, or you can tweet us at Global Game SEN. Of course, we've got a double pass to the A-League men's game of your choosing. 
for the best texter, stroke caller, stroke tweeter. So join the conversation. And we'll also give away one of our great T-shirts that uh, sport the images of myself and Alex Brosk with beards that are probably a bit longer <laughs> than they are in reality. And I can tell you, Mark Thompson has got a beard that's better than both of us, Brosky. <laughs> yes, that's absolutely. the only reason they hired me. <laughs> you have to be hairy to be on this show. <laughs> uh, let's get into it then with Starter for Five. And this week's Starter for Five, thanks to Guzman E. Gomez, fast food that athletes say yes to. Question one, Alex Brosk. A serious topic, of course. We had the press conference today. James Johnson announcing the sanctions uh, that have been handed down to Melbourne Victory. The Victory sanctions handed down for you suitably tough or overall a bit rough? Um, no, look, I think they are suitably tough. It is um, in terms of the, the actual dollar value on it, um, the, the largest that's ever been handed out in 550000 So it is big. And look, I, I, I think we have to stamp this behaviour out. And um, it is on Melbourne Victory, um, you know, to control their crowd at the end of the day. And look, I do hate the fact that, you know, one of the league's best active supporter groups won't be seen uh, for the rest of the season. Now, that's definitely not good for our game. But while it is only a handful of idiots who, um, who definitely don't belong at our games, they are, at the end of the day, um, victory fans, they need to be kept in line. And, you know, if we called out Sydney United after the Australia Cup final to mm. get their fans in order, then the same has to be said about Melbourne Victory. The actives are going to be locked out for the rest of the season. No away fans for any victory games. Uh, Ten-point deductions suspended. And I actually think that's a good thing. That's over for the next three seasons because that is now a deterrent, isn't it, for any future misbehaviour, but it's hanging over them for the next three seasons. And uh, the Melbourne Derby is going to be replayed from the 22nd minute, sometime in April, uh, restarting with the score at 1-0, as it was, uh, of course, when they went off. Uh, there's going to be a new task force created by Football Australia to uh, initially, I guess, try and put a curb on the flares that are smuggled into the grounds. And Victory's response uh, today is that they will... Uh, disband the active groups. I don't quite know how they do that, but because <laughs> they didn't create them in the first place. But I guess, you know, they've got to be seen to, to be taking that action. Yeah, absolutely. Look, and that's what uh, I think everybody wants to see, um, some action taken by Melbourne Victory. We, we don't want to see these, um, these yep. scenes ever again. Okay. Uh, question two, Mark Thompson, your debut question. Uh, as we mentioned, you're an Inverness Caledonian Thistle supporter. This has got to be the first Inverness Cali question <laughs> we've ever asked on this show. So Billy Dodds, the manager, uh, is still the man, or quite frankly, you're not a fan? I am not a fan. Ten <laughs> goals in two games, I don't care. We've had awful, awful... You've just won back-to-back -back games, Mark. Yeah, I know, but you've not played good football. They were against Arbroath and Cove. Cove just sacked their manager. Arbroath are playing some of the worst football you'll ever see in your life. I mean, can I just say, very happy that the fact that on this, uh, this football show, forget the sanctions, forget the Mariners' form or the FA Cup draws... <laughs> It's all about whether Billy Dodds, the championship <laughs> manager of Inverness. It's a, this is the only reason he stuck his hand up to actually produce this show. Oh, yeah, yeah, he yeah. wanted to get that bit out. When are we talking about whether David Carson should play a right back or centre mid versus Queen's Park on Saturday? That's what I'm looking forward to. Cove is near Aberdeen, is yes, that right? Yes, it is. Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, question three. Broski, Matty Ryan switched from FC Copenhagen to RZ Alkmaar. The move that needed to be made or he should have fought for his place and stayed? Um, no, look, I think he's got a fight on his hands where he's going anyway. So I think it's definitely not about that. But he, he needed to go for me. It was definitely a, a toxic environment for him where he was, especially personally with the um, Grabara incident and all the comments that he made towards uh, Matty Ryan. So 
Look, I, I think a fresh start will be good for him. He's at a good club in Holland. They're fighting for Champions League uh, spots. So I think um, I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes. He's there. got to make this work, hasn't he? Because it, it's been a bit of a pattern that's developed over the last couple of years with Matt. He's gone from club to club to club and seems to end up back at square one. Yeah, which is, is difficult. Um, I mean, I certainly haven't seen a, a career quite like that, you know, especially for someone who has the ability he has Absolutely. and how good he is. It is quite strange. Uh, and definitely, again, nothing on his personality as a guy. He's one of the nicest guys there is. So I, I actually I can't understand it, but I hope that this is, you know, where he settles and finds some great form. And so say all of us. Question four, Mark Thompson, Gianni Infantino's plea for every country to name a stadium after Pele. A worthy request or grandstanding at best? Grandstanding at best. <laughs> I think it's a it's, it's a hilarious effort to try and get some stadium named after Pele here. I don't know what personally how much cultural impact he's had in every single country around mm. the world of football. But how about we get our own situation sorted first? Exactly. How then, about we name some stadiums after our own players? I've got first. three suggestions. Go on. The Schwarzer Stadium, yeah. the yeah. Ange Arena, and my favourite, Craig Morton Daly Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell Maury that one. He'll like that one. And I think that was to be very fitting for him. Uh, question five, Broski. Has the music run out? Have we lost the it music? Has wait for it. Wait for it. Here it comes. There it is. There we go. Uh, question five, Broski. Melbourne City to win three premierships in a row. Still too early to say or give them the plate now. Don't wait until May. Look, I would give them the plate now. I don't think there's anyone in the league anywhere near as consistent as they are, uh, right through from second all the way down. Um, look, they're playing great football. You know, Berenguer is back as well, so they've got plenty of depth. Um, and I can't see anyone getting close to them for the Premier's plate. Anyway. Yeah, they're looking pretty good, aren't yeah. they? And we'll speak to Rado Vidasic, their interim coach, a little bit later on in the show. That was this week's Starter for Five, thanks to Guzman y Gomez, home of clean, healthy burritos and bowls that athletes say yes to. If you've got any views on uh, any of those topics or anything else in the world of football, give us a call, 1300 01 1170. Text us 0457 736 736, or you can tweet us at Global Game SEN. We're off to our first quick break on the other side side of it. We'll talk to Jacob Spoonley, former Wellington Phoenix goalkeeper, now an analyst with Sky Sport New Zealand, about that extraordinary game at Allianz Stadium between Sydney FC and the Knicks at the weekend. Text 0457 736 736 or tweet at Global Game SEN to get involved with the show. You're listening to The Global Game with Simon Hill and Alex Brosk on SEN. So let's get into some of the big talking points of the weekend. And surely the game that made the most headlines was the one at Allianz Stadium between Sydney FC and Wellington Phoenix. A rather chaotic last 20 minutes saw two Phoenix players sent off and Sydney awarded two injury time penalties, neither of which, of course, were converted. Uh, joining us now to give the Kiwi view and look at the Phoenix more generally is former All-Whites keeper Jacob Spoonley, who's now also an analyst with Sky Sports in New Zealand. Evening, Jacob. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, lovely to be on, guys. Thank you very much for having me. Great to hear your voice. Uh, Broski's here as well. Um, let, let's just kick off with uh, one of your quotes on Twitter on Saturday that I, I managed to see. <laughs> and I quote, the entertainment value should not veil the poor officiating. Now, now you've had a couple of days to calm down. <laughs> Are you still of that view today? Uh, I am. I am, Simon. And uh, I think just to explain things at the time, um, I was basically shaking um, with what I was seeing on the TV screen uh, on the side of the Tasman. Um, and I, I do stand by that statement. Um, 
there are a number of big decisions that happened over the course of the 90 minutes. And to my mind, there were five big match-changing decisions that were made by Sean Evans and his team. And having discussed it with a number of people that I trust on this side of the Tasman, including some of those that were actually involved in the match, um, I think three, if not four, of those decisions didn't come up to the standard that we expect of an A-League um, officiating team. So I'm happy to go through those with you, um, but I, I do um, feel comfortable um, still making that statement a couple of days on. And I will like to say, um, I thought Broski, you were great um, over the course of um, the weekend um, in terms of guiding us through that. And I thought Simon and Jura just did a fantastic job of what I can only imagine would have been a very stressful situation. <laughs> it was very, very stressful, I can tell you. I mean, we just didn't know what, what the heck was, was going to happen next. Um, so so quickly, tell us the one that you think they got right, because mm. that's probably easier. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, and this is me, everyone's probably going to um, uh, accuse me of bias, but I actually think they got the offside for the Ryan Crown goal right, and there was fractions in that, but um, we've been able to be pretty precise with what we can do with offside goals now. Mm. And I think as well, um, the other one that um, you can say, yes, no problems with that decision, but it was the context in which the decision was made, was the uh, Kellen Elliott handball, um, arm up, um, hits his hands, yeah. uh, leads to the second penalty, no problems with that whatsoever, but point I would make is that without the first decision, you don't put uh, Kellen in a situation where he gives away the handball. That's right. Now, I have to say, I, I was probably of the same opinion as you, and I, I still contest uh, two of the decisions. I think, I think the decision to send off Nick Pennington is, I, I think that is really harsh, only to give Max Burgess the yellow and Nick Pennington the red. The Kryev red card, yeah, I can sort of see that. You know, he's he's gone... Mm into the back of him. I think it's harsh still, but I can understand why why they gave that. The Ryan Grant offside, yep, completely uh, agree with that. Now, the first penalty is the one I take big issue with. However, I have, of course, now seen in the interim, and I'm sure you might have seen these as well, Jacob, a couple of shots of fans who've, uh, you know, sent in stuff on their phone. And it, it does suggest that more, there is a possibility it struck his arm. Now, the issue I've got as, as a broadcaster and as a commentator is that we don't see all those angles. Now, you know, in days gone by, we would obviously have more camera angles to be able to access uh, the different uh, views of, of such an incident. But, you know, in, in such straightened times as we are financially as a league, we don't have what is known in the trade. And I'm sure you know this, Jacob, as the high behind camera, which would have probably given us the definitive view. And this is my problem with VAR. I've got no issue with Sean Evans making that decision. If that's what he saw, mm. and, and he may, you know, again, on the evidence of, of the uh, grainy mobile phone footage I've seen, he may well be right. But if you're going to have VAR and, you know, say to the supporters both at home and the stadium, look, we, we are reviewing all the angles to make sure that we get these things right we're not seeing those on the coverage. And I'm not sure 100% that the VAR are seeing all those angles either. So this is my problem with VAR, and it's always been my problem with it, um, and why I would personally get rid of it and go back to ref's call. And then, okay, if Sean Evans makes that call, you either agree or you disagree, we can argue about it, and then we move on. But once you add VAR to the equation, then you've got an additional issue in that the fans assume that you're going to get 99% of the decisions correct. And I'm still not 100% convinced that they got that right. 
Well, it, does any of that sort of resonate with you as well, Jake? It, it does. And if we can pack the Nick Pennington um, situation uh, for one minute, and we'll, if we can come back to that, I'd really appreciate that because mm. I do want to explain myself in relation to the initial statement. But if we return to the penalty, and you're right, um, is it Nathan McGill, who's the head of the referees um, for Football Australia, That's has correct. come out today? And I want to absolutely commend him. Um, he's uh, front-footed this. He's come out and made himself um, accountable and transparent, and he's provided comment. And I think that should be congratulated because I, I honestly and genuinely do believe we need to hear more from the referees. Yeah. And we do need to hear more from the referees exactly to your point, Simon. I, I am a strong believer in what rugby's done, which is when there is something that's being reviewed and where it is contentious, as broadcasters, we should step aside and allow the referees to take over. A hundred percent. They should take over. They should take over um, the PA system at the ground, so everyone on the ground can hear what's going on. And they should also take over the broadcast. And I think it's important for a couple of reasons, but namely, we should hear the process that is being undertaken in order to make the decision, what has been given weight, and importantly, what the referee is in real time, and then what he wants to see to support his decision. Mm -hmm. And Sean Evans, to your point, um, living out um, this uh, and what we saw on the weekend, um, Tim Payne has misjudged the ball into the box, and he's actually raised his arm. And I think if you get someone aside and, and get them to speak to you, honestly, I actually think Sean Evans possibly makes the call off Tim Payne's skyward arm because it goes very close to the ball. Mm. Um, I still haven't seen conclusive evidence to say that he touched the ball. And today, with the um, discussion that we had with the with Mr. McGill, he seemed to indicate that it's not off that initial um, potential contact. It's actually off the Sydney player who hits the ball back into Tim when right. he's facing the wrong way and apparently comes off his left arm. I still haven't seen conclusive evidence. And if there is footage that the VAR has access to, then not only should we be able to see that as part of the broadcast, but we should be able to see them reviewing that in real time and what they're looking Absolutely. at. Because that will explain the decision. And to your point, I don't even think VAR is going to make everything perfect. But if we can understand the process, that yep. takes us a long way to getting more comfortable with this technology. And, you know, it, to be fair to the uh, to the Refs Association and to the APL, they want that. Mm. They want to yes. be able to broadcast the audio and to go over to the VAR and have them explain it. But IFAB and FIFA will not let them. They keep saying no. So it's it's a big problem, I think, for our game. Anyway, Broski, go on. No, you're, look, it is because you do see it in other sports around the world, in NFL, NBA, even NRL here, and, and we do see how at least, whether you agree with it or not, like you, like you both said, at least we see how they came to that decision. Yep. We see all the cameras available. Anyway, we have been arguing about that for a, for a little while. In, in terms of the win itself, would that rank as one of the best wins in, in Wellington's history, do you think? <laughs> I think we're very privileged to have one of uh, the Wellington Phoenix's custodians uh, in the box with Simon, mm. <laughs> and, and he definitely ranked it up there as one of the best wins um, up alongside any playoff fixture that the Wellington Phoenix have been able to achieve. And I think when you put it in the context of surviving two penalties at the end of the match, match Broski, and then overcoming um, the deficit that they had in terms of um, the players on the field, and then you put it in um, the cauldron that is the Sydney football ground. And I think you can say rightly that it potentially isn't the strongest Sydney team that we've seen in recent years, um, but it still holds 
the the mana, uh, I think is the word that we use over here to describe um, going into those sorts of um, football cathedrals. And for the Phoenix to come away with a 1-0 victory uh, in all of that context, and then also um, it being their first clean sheet of the season, um, I, I think that is a wonderful victory for them. And mm. it will hopefully be the catalyst um, for the Phoenix to start to realise the promise that they have shown throughout the early course of the season, uh, which has been hamstrung by a couple of stumbles along the way. Um, generally, of course, the, the, the Knicks go a little bit under the radar here in Australia. They're sat in seventh. Um, they've got Brisbane away this weekend, who are in pretty good form at the moment. Uh, what does Ufuk Tale, who I think does a terrific job as, as the head coach of Wellington Phoenix with, you know, not the resources perhaps that some of the other clubs have, um, what does he need to, to get them challenging in the finals? Because, of course, they've lost Ben Wayne, of course, who's gone over to, to Plymouth. Yeah, I think um, what we've seen from the Phoenix so far this season is a team that... Are you still there, Jacob? We appear to have lost Jacob Spoonley, which is uh, rather unfortunate. Um, we were sort of coming towards the end of that conversation anyway. I'm, I'm sorry we've lost him. I uh, don't quite know what happened there. Technical issue. But, uh, Broski, we'll just round off that conversation. There's a question I was going to ask uh, Jacob, but you, you can give me your opinion on it. There's been some talk of Auckland being one of the next expansion teams. Do you, do you reckon it could work there? Is that a, would that be a good thing for the A-League men's competition? And what would a derby do for New Zealand football, do you think? Um, okay, well, I mean, Auckland was where the New Zealand Knights were based um, back in the early days. Look, and, and it didn't work for whatever reason, but I think with Wellington and what they're doing at the moment, a, a derby's always good, you know. A derby, we've seen in Sydney what it did, we've seen in Melbourne what it did. Um, you know, there's talk about potentially Brisbane having a, a derby of their own. I think derbies are always great. I think, um, look, if New Zealand is here to stay in terms of having a team in, in, in the A-League, then and we're talking about growing the league, I do think there's a couple of cities within Australia still that I'd like to see have their own team. But I'd love to see a, a New Zealand derby as well added eventually. Yep, it was a brilliant win for Wellington Phoenix. Um, Jay from the Blue Mountains has texted us, uh, hey, gents, having watched plenty of cricket during the summer, they seem to have gotten the video technology perfect. So what if they introduced a captain's challenge system Instead of everything being reviewed, uh, give a team three challenges per game. We sort of, yeah, it's it's not a new uh, sort of idea that it's a good one, but I, I don't know whether that would work. Would it? I, uh, look, I think one per game is it's yeah, more than three, enough to be three honest. Three each would just slow the game right down. You know, I, yeah. I don't think we get too much, um, you know, intervening by the VAR at the moment, or the, even the ref going to the side on. If you have a captain's challenge, it, it would it would just be uh, yeah too time consuming. I think. Okay, I'm I'm not necessarily totally against that idea, to be honest. I think at least then you would know definitively if you've had your challenge. Well, you know, tough. It's it's gone. The same as in cricket. Anyway, uh, thanks for that text, Jay. Uh, Mitch, uh, was there any reason there's less cameras at the game? Normally, there's a cameraman behind the goals that could have picked up the first Sydney penalty. Well, look, you know, unfortunately, th this is where the game is at. Production is hugely expensive, and. Uh, you know, it's it's true that we don't have as many cameras at some of the games that we're used to. Um, there was one image that um, that we've both seen that yep. 
shows a bit clearer um, the angle. It's where, not behind the goal, but yes. No, it's not behind the goal. You're right. But there, there was another camera. I guess just more to your point, the, the fact that it wasn't shown to us and why not? I mean, that's the, that was the definitive. Yeah. Um, you know, That's how they made their exactly, decision. I, I got sent that image, but, uh, you know, I have to say, and obviously I commentated the game, I didn't see that angle. Um, and obviously that makes our job tricky as well. And again, this... This speaks to my broader point that if you're going to have VAR, okay, no problem, but you've got to have all the angles. Mm. And because we're, we're not in a position maybe to have that at the moment, then to me it becomes counterproductive and increases the angst. But that's only my opinion. Um, we've run out of time with uh, our chat. Thanks to Jacob Spoonley for coming on. I'm sorry he, he got cut short, um, but I'm sure we'll get him on again before the end of the season to talk about the Phoenix. We're off to uh, another quick break. On the other side of it, we'll review the rest of the Round 11 action with Broski. Text 0457 736 736 or tweet at Global Game SEN to get involved with the show. You're listening to The Global Game with Simon Hill and Alex Brosk on SEN. Keep the interaction coming. Our text line is open 0457 736 736. We've got a few to read out a little bit later on in the show. Don't forget to download Keep Up, the home of everything A-Leagues, and watch the new docuseries A-Leagues All Access on Keep Up this week. The latest highlights from around the country, including press conferences from all the managers across the league, as well as the goals of the month from Carlo Armiento and Madison Haley. Uh, Broski, let's talk about uh, round 11, starting with Melbourne victory nil, Brisbane Raw 1. Uh, let's start with the positives we, before we talk about uh, victory. Uh, Brisbane are fifth in the league. They've not lost since the 14th of October. We know that they're very difficult to beat, very strong defensively. Are they a dark horse this season? Um Look, I do think uh, they're a long way off, say, a Melbourne City, um, and even on their day, some of the bigger some of the bigger teams. But look, at the moment, if you look at what they're doing, what Warren Moon's doing, one loss is you know alongside Melbourne City, they're the only two teams that have only lost one game. If they, you know, if they had a reliable goal scorer, we thought Charlie Austin would be the answer to that, and he and he hasn't been. Now he's gone. Um, if they can find someone to just banging more goals for them. I, I do still think that's their downfall, but they're punching well above their weight at the moment, I think, um, and in an incredible position. I mean, they play tonight against Perth. If they win that, they go up to, you know, equal third with Western Sydney. Mm. And only two weeks ago, I don't think anybody was talking about them. So no, incredible. Absolutely. Uh, Melbourne Victory are certainly punching well below their weight at the <laughs> yeah. moment. And again, they failed to score. What do, what's going on? Oh, look, it's, it's one of those. I... I I just keep scratching my head watching them from week to week. You think that this is going to be the week that they get it going. You'd think, again, at home to Brisbane, right, they're finally going to, say, put five past somebody. And instead, another week goes past. They're struggling to to not just score but actually create. You know, they don't look, given the amount of talent they have in their front line, I, I don't know how it's happening or, or what Popper needs to do to get this team going. But um, really, it, it's mind-blowing what's what's happening. And it looks like we've seen Nani for the uh, for the last time this season. He's of course ruptured his ACL, which is is terrible news, really. But uh, the, the marquee thing this year has not really worked, has it? With Charlie Austin going back, didn't work last year with Dean Sturridge. But I guess that's that's always the danger, isn't it? It's the gamble when you bring players, big name players from overseas. It you know it doesn't always work. No, not really. And look, I think if if you look at um, look Charlie Austin, probably isn't a. a Big name marquee compared to say someone like Daniel Sturridge, but Sturridge carried with him the um, you know the, the injury issues he's had in the past. That's always a risk. But 
to be fair, someone like Nani, I, I thought and, and was excited to see him here. I thought he was someone who could genuinely lift um, the league and get Melbourne victory flying again. And it's just one of those. It hasn't worked much like their, their season in general, I guess. But disappointing because you do want, you know, players um, you know who can come out and, and have the, the, the total package. You know, they work in every aspect that you want them to. You want them to be a good on the field but provide a lot to the league and, and give fans quality and for the for their money and um we just we didn't get much of it with uh, with nani unfortunately uh perth glory defeated western sydney wanderers by a goal to nil the wanderers were terrific the week before against macarthur and this seems to be the story for a lot of teams across the league putting two or three games together consistently is difficult for them it seems impossible i mean outside of melbourne city who are incredibly consistent <coughs> and have been for a number of years now everybody else i mean it's, it's frustrating for us. We're talking a team up um, and how good they were and hopefully this is the turning point for their season. They go and suffer a heavy loss the, the, the following or, a, you know, upsetting loss in the following week. So it's, look, it's hard to pick. It's what makes, I guess, for the neutral, the uh, the A-League so, uh, so exciting. The fact that the ladder's always close and teams from week to week, you don't know what's going to happen. Anyone can win home or away. Um, that's the A-League. Uh, good three points, though, for Perth. They can make Macedonia Park perhaps a bit of a fortress. Mm. Uh, as we said earlier, they're taking on Brisbane Raw uh, at that venue tonight. Uh, team news just come through. Mark Beavers and Ryan Williams returning to the team. Uh, Adam Zimmerino starting up front. And Cameron Cook in goal with Liam Reddy on the bench. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we saw that already last week and, and he came in and kept, uh, I think, Perth Glory's first yeah. clean sheet. So that was, uh, look, it's a it's a bold move um, from, from Rupert Zatkovich. Um, it worked well on the weekend. Not to say that that's the reason, um, you know, that they won the game or, or mm. kept a clean sheet. But it is, look, it, it is good for the young boy. And um, look, Liam Reddy's been around a long time and, and I'm sure he'll be... Um, doing everything to support the young kid. Okay, uh, Sydney FC nil, Wellington Phoenix 1. We've discussed the Wellington Phoenix angle and the controversy. Uh, the only question, I guess, that remains is uh, the pressure that's starting to build on Steve Corrick at Sydney FC. I mean, again, talking of a lack of consistency, they were very good at the Newcastle Jets, got the points, but couldn't back it up. And winning at Allianz is proving to be a real problem for the Sky Blues. It is, and it's uh, look. It is heaping more pressure on um, on Steve Corriker. It's um, it's been difficult. Not the season um, he would have had or wanted to this point. And look, I think if you do look at it to this very point, it um, it, it is a season that um, that has been a failure up until now. Um, they're sitting well outside, not well outside the six, but outside the six. And and for a team, the team that they have on paper, going back to the new stadium. Um, it's it's not good enough, to be honest. And look, it, it is difficult, right, for me. I mean, these questions keep getting asked week to week. Yeah. Corrick is a good friend of mine, a former teammate, and, and I understand being in the media, I have to be honest and, and neutral. What I'll never do is is call for, for someone, particularly a good friend, to be sacked. But mm. looking at it as a neutral, as, as best I can, it is difficult to keep backing him given what is happening from week to week. They, they're not in the position they want to be. They're not in the position that they should be. And I do think that next three weeks, you know, they've got three tough away games, Perth, Western United and Melbourne victory. That that will be very crucial for him. Definitive, perhaps. Keeping his job, <clears throat> that's right. Uh, Matthew has texted us, uh, putting the referee in controversy aside, Sydney were very poor, very little creativity, no idea how to break down nine players. Uh, Broski must agree that Corica is on his way out. Well, that's that's Matthew's opinion, which is fair enough. The club the size of Sydney says Matthew can't accept mediocrity. Uh, nothing mediocre about the Mariners at the moment. Broski hammered Adelaide United by four goals to nil. 
Um, I think the Mariners are possibly one of the teams that could uh, get over the top of Melbourne City. Maybe not for the Premiership, but certainly they have that potential in the finals. Well, we, I mean, we're talking about form and how hard it is for any team to get consistency. But you look at the Mariners and they're probably the only other team, sorry, outside of Melbourne City who are who've been great. I think they've won three out of the last four or four out of the last five. So they're in great form at the moment. And you can tell, you know, this this hammering of Adelaide, there were a couple, um, you know, fortunate um, deflected goals as well. So you just know that, you know, everything's going for them at the moment. They're playing with great confidence at home as well to give the fans um, who've been good this season for them a, a big victory. Look, I, I think they are looking good. I think they're looking as good as anyone um, which is surprising. I mean, I certainly didn't have them, um, you know, in the top six. and, and Monty, I did. You did? I had them oh. top four. Wow. Yeah. Very good. Well, you're I on like track for Monty's that. I like what Monty's doing with that club. Likewise, likewise. I think it's incredible what he's doing. But, um, I, I, yeah, probably had Sydney and Melbourne victory who aren't performing all that well this year up yeah. there. But, no, he's, he's doing a great job. And, and I think what the club is doing, you know, giving youngsters a, a opportunity and being brave enough as a coach to do that, still find that mix of being not just competitive but finding ways to win games with the young boys, I think has been great. Uh, Melbourne City beat Western United by the same scoreline. We'll talk to Rado Vidicic shortly about uh, his team's uh, performances. Um, they are the best team in the league at the moment. Jamie McLaren scoring 10 games in a row, extending his own Record, Marco Tilio superb. I just wanted to ask you one question on, on Western United. We're, we'll hear the City angle shortly from Rado, but uh, Leo Lacroix, again, another own goal. That's his third of the season. Mm. It, is it maybe time for John Aloisi to take him out of the firing line? Because, it, I mean, this, this loss of form has been extraordinary from one of the players of the season last year. It has been. And if you talk about, you know, in the game before with the Mariners, when, when everything's going your way, you get those deflected goals. I mean, with Western United, everything that can go wrong for them. I mean, three own goals in nine games. That, that must be some sort of record. <laughs> yeah. So it's just not happening for him. But look, I think, you know, with a striker, potentially you can, you can take someone out. I don't think he's been overly poor in terms of, you know, his quality on the ball and, and, and his leadership still that he brings. So I think you, you will lose that without him there. As a striker, if he's not scoring goals, okay, give a young boy a chance or bring someone else, maybe giving him a spell. But I think he's in one of those positions on the field where you do need him out there and you just hope that he, you know, gets into some sort of form quick because he was incre- he was integral to their run into the final mm. and winning the final last year. And, and without him being as dominant as he was, they're, they're not the same team. Uh, final game of the round, MacArthur defeating the Newcastle Jets 2-0. Al-Hassan Toure and Ulysses Davila. Uh, Newcastle have only won one of their last five now. Uh, the games this week, tonight it's Glory against Brisbane. Uh, that's 10.30 Eastern. On Friday, it's MacArthur against the Mariners. Maybe the game of the round. Uh, on Saturday, Raw are back in action against Wellington at 5. It's Adelaide against Melbourne Victory at 7.45. And Perth Glory against Sydney is the late game. Then two matches on Sunday. The Wanderers against Melbourne City. That's third against first. And Western United against the Newcastle Jets. That's uh, our A-League Round 11 wrap. We're off to another break. On the other side of it, we'll talk to the Melbourne City interim coach, Rado Vidasic. Well, we talked about the controversy in Sydney, but no such problems for Melbourne City, who continue to sail serenely to what looks like being a third consecutive premiership. Saturday's 4-0 thumping of Western United means City are now six points clear at the top and with a game in hand. And joining us on the line is City interim coach Rado Vidicic. Evening to you, Rado. Good evening, Simon. Good evening, Alex. And uh, good evening to all your listeners. Uh, also, Happy New Year. Hopefully happy New Year to a, you as well. Great one. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show, Rada. We haven't spoken for a long time. 
Um, you, you seem to have really picked up from Paddy Kisnorbo without much disruption. Has it been a case of, well, it ain't broke, so I'm not going to try and fix it? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the team has, was flying at the beginning of the season, uh, although we had uh, several new players uh, coming in. Uh, it did not take them long to adapt to the way we want to play, and I think now I'm, I'm benefit from uh, all that hard work that Patrick and, and the group has put in, in the, during the preseason and uh, you know last uh, seven eight weeks that I've been with them. Um, so it's it's quite enjoyable working with them, and uh, I think we can see that they're enjoying as well with that, the way they are playing and uh, you know the results that we are achieving. Was it a surprise to you that um, that Kisnorbo left at all? I mean, and, and when it was happening, did you know, were you always uh, in the club's plans to replace him when that when that happened? Uh, look, it, it is a, it's a great opportunity for Australian coach. And, and uh, you know, I know talking to him, it was always his dream to, to go overseas. And, uh, you know, Alex, you, you, you were the player and, you know, every player, uh, wants to go overseas and, and Patrick has been overseas and, and now to be able to coach overseas and to be part of uh, CFG, uh, uh, one team in, you know, CFG group, especially in France where it's one of the top five divisions, you know, it was always uh, uh, something that he could not know back to, to work with, with Eric Mombao, who was a fantastic uh, um, teacher for him that year that, that Patrick worked with him at the club. Um, regarding me, no, no, there was never a plan that I am going to replace him. And, uh, um, you know, there was never actually a plan that he's going to leave. I think he extended contract uh, a, a year ago. So that was never planned. It just happened so quickly and uh, it caught everyone by surprise. Um, and then when I was asked uh, on the eve of the women's competition, would I be keen to to help the club yeah of course I said uh, absolutely you know it puts me a little bit out of my comfort zone and uh, I've been preaching to all the players that you know you need to leave your comfort zone and and test yourself and and see what you're made of so you know even at my late age I I get to experience again uh, a league and uh, you know it's uh, it's really been pleasure so far Come on, Rado, you're not that old. <laughs> and I was, I was going to ask, the, the next question was, now you've had a, a little taste of it again, uh, do you fancy the job on a permanent basis? Would you be sticking your hand up? Uh, look, it's, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, communication. You know, obviously our headquarters are in Manchester. You know, a lot of people, some peers is travelling, coming to Melbourne and, and, you know, being with us. Um, you know, constantly talking to Brian and, and you know, see what, what's, what they are looking at. Uh, but at the moment, uh, I, I'm in charge. And until someone someone says that, uh, you know, I'm going to be replaced, I'm doing all the planning. Uh, I get great support from uh, Michael Petrillo, Pedro Dinovic. So uh, I'm, um, I'm there, you know, planning to, to stay long. Uh, how long, uh, we will see. Oh, very good, mate. Look, the, on the field, the team is um, obviously flying. They're playing great football. And it's been for a number of years now, the club's been very successful. Now, with that, obviously, you draw attention from European clubs wanting to, you know, pinch the players. And, and we saw Atkinson, Connor Metcalf get moves last season. This year, there's been a lot of talk around Marco Tilio, Jordan Boss in particular. 
Are there any offers, particularly in this current window, that you're uh, aware of for either of those two at the moment, or is there um, any any contact from anyone regarding these couple of players? Uh, not that I am aware of. Uh, obviously, there, there was some uh, um, there, there was some interest in in, in Bossy, uh, I think, uh, earlier in the year. Uh, but uh, um, you know, we want to keep them. We, we want to give them another 15, 16 to 20 games under their belt. We, we want to really challenge them to, to, to showcase how good they are. Uh, and then when they are ready to play overseas in the, in the first 11, uh, at, at you know, certain leagues that they, that they are good enough for, you know, then I think it's the right time to go. Many, many times we've seen a lot of our young players leave, um, and they go way too early without the A-League experience and then they come back um, and then, you know, they are even worse than they, what they were before they left. So I think they, they've got, uh, we've got good guidance. Uh, uh, we constantly are talking to them. So we will try, obviously, to help them to CFG if, if, that's, if that's what's needed. But I think they are good enough uh, at the moment, um, you know, to to get, uh, you know, to have their agents try to find a club as well. So I hope that they stay for the rest of the year, um, and then unless unless some really ridiculous offer comes in, I think that's the plan. That's the club's plan. Yep, I think we'd like them to stay as well. We enjoy watching them. Um, Rado, just. Uh, for yourself, it, it's been ten years since you coached in the A League men's competition. Have things changed much? Uh, look, I think uh, you know every year there is something different, and and uh, you know it's. Uh, I think th- th- this year it's uh, it's quite even competition. You know, we we've got a lot of teams, uh, you know, doing better than maybe what what was what was expected. Uh, unfortunately, some some teams are doing worse than what what was expected. But uh, you know, I, I think the, the, we are getting uh, more quality overseas players. Uh, I mean, especially talking about us, we've got some really fantastic overseas players. Um, also, to be able to bring players like Lecky back to the A League, I think that that is helping us as well. Uh, Jamie McLaren has been on fire, you know, so I think the league is moving into the right direction. I think the only thing that's missing is it's more supporters. Um, I remember, you know, when we started the A-League, we had more supporters than, than what we are having now. Um, with no disrespect to anyone, I think we are playing a little bit better football now than what, what, what we played in in past. Um, you know, players are fitter, players are you know, technically maybe a little bit better, uh, you know. So I, I predict it's going to get better and better and we're going to see more and more quality games uh, in the A-League. And heading into this weekend, Rado, the Wanderers uh, had a bad loss last week away to Perth. So they'll, they're at home this week and, and it's a, a big clash yourself with them first against third. A real opportunity for you guys to, to widen that gap. Uh, what are you expecting from the Wanderers and, and from the game this week? Uh, look, uh, knowing Marco Runan, I, I believe they're going to come out firing. Um, you know, we watched them when they played against Sydney FC, uh, and, and they were so aggressive. They, they were in their faces. I think they, they won the fight uh, that night, and, and they won the game. So that's something to expect from them. Um, you know, we, we're going to try to um, 
play the same way. You know, we, we like to play aggressively. We like to press. Uh, and then I think it's going to be uh, whoever can control the game better, you know, all four moments, not just attacking or defensive, but uh, I think transition moments are going to be very important. And, you know, we are getting better and better in our transition moments. So, um, you know, there's still some work to be done, but uh, I think that that is going to be the key. Mm. Just, just finally, Rado, of course, you're, you're part of a pretty unique situation, I think, in uh, National League history. You're in charge of the men's team and your son, Dario, is, is now in charge of the women's team, his first senior coaching gig. Um, how often the, do the two of you talk on a professional level? You, I presume you're in contact every day. Do, do you offer him advice or is it perhaps the other way around? <laughs> Uh, we we live together, so well, we, that helps. We talk, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it helps. Uh, we, we talk every day, and uh, obviously we we are sharing a lot, a lot of ideas. And uh, okay, me being a little bit more experienced, uh, my practice manual is a little bit thicker than his. So um, you know, there's a lot of sharing of the practices, and you know, once you're part of uh, of something. You know, as big as uh, you know, CFG, uh, you got a lot of lot of access to to different type of information that, that that you know, you can improve your knowledge about football, about conditioning, about analysis, about you know whatever you need. So it, it's been you know quite uh, easy to access uh, information, and then it's just you know, which, how do you use that information? How do you in- implement that information? You know, in your training sessions, in your behaviors and stuff like that. But you know he is a young coach. He's learning. He's learning quite well, and I think he's quite respected um, at at the group as well. So, you know, hopefully there's going to be a good future for him uh, in in, uh, in in future. Well, whatever the information is, it appears to be working because uh, you're top of the league by quite some distance at the moment. Rado, we'll uh, <clears throat> excuse me, have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us on the Global Game tonight. We really appreciate it, and uh, good luck this weekend against the Wanderers. Thanks, Rado. No worries. Thank you, guys. Uh, speak soon. That's uh, Rado Vidasic, the interim coach of Melbourne City, top of the shop at the moment. Yes, Spencer Pryor joins us from New Zealand where he's preparing the Papua New Guinea women's team for their crack at qualifying for the FIFA Women's World Cup. Evening, Spencer. Hello, mate. How are you? Very good. Broski's here too, of course. Uh, FA Cup third round action, Spen. One or two big clubs paying the price for not putting their full focus on the competition, including Aston Villa. Actually, to be fair, didn't put out a bad side. They had Coutinho, Matty Cash, Danny Ings, but they lost to Stevenage. Uh, and and the, that's the thing is, right? Uh, but the clubs will go, you know, the supporters go, oh, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's not a great big competition anymore. It's more important for the Premier League. Tell that to Stevenage. Mm. Tell that to the Stevenage fans that all rocked up. And how much that means to them, you know? It was um, a very, very impressive result. And, uh, yeah, nothing like grinding out a, a nice win in the last couple of minutes. Yeah. Uh, Wrexham also got a win over Coventry, a seven-goal thriller. Coventry, yep. of course, the 1987 Cup winners. So, were you ever part of a team that was the victim of a giant killing spin? What? Winning or losing? <laughs> well, oh, either. Victim, losing. Yeah. Um, League Cup, not FA Cup. Go on. 
League Cup. Well, hang on. Well, no, it was FA Cup. It was it was FA Cup. How mad is that? Le- um, Cardiff against Leeds. So I played for the Cardiff team that beat Leeds when they were top of the Premier League. Wow. Um, yeah, we beat them 2-1. Viduka was playing and uh, Alan Smith were playing up front. We beat them 2-1 at Ninian Park. And strangely enough, strangely enough, they played again in the third round this week. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. And it was a two-all draw. And funny enough, Cardiff were winning 2-1 again going into the last minute, but they jagged it in injury time. So it's a replay. Yeah. Yeah, I played in that. But, yeah, and I also played it for South End when we beat Man United in the League Cup. That must have been nice for you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was great. And they had a big side out. That was with Ronaldo was playing, Rooney was playing, Evra. Evra was on the bench. Wow. That's who, how strong their team was. Who did you mark, Spen? I tried to mark, mark Wayne Rooney, but I didn't really get too close to him, to be honest, mate. <laughs> I was a bit... I was 35 at the time, so I just let Efatori Soji do all the marking for me, and I just did the sweeping round. <laughs> Uh, that's good, but you mentioned about uh, but, you know most of the, uh, the the big teams look focusing on the league. So mm. Newcastle United, I mean they they lost two one, and, and and obviously Eddie Howe made a few changes to that one. He's blamed fatigue to his regular starters as well. They haven't won a trophy since nineteen sixty nine. So they've got a big game in the morning against Leicester in the Carabao Cup. Um, you know it is yeah. a big chance for them to get some silverware. Given everything he sort of complained about fatigue, and do they continue to focus in on the league given where they are at the moment or, or do they go for this trophy? Well, the thing is, Broski, like when you've, got, when you've got a League Cup, FA Cup and the league to play for, right? Ultimately, if you can win a cup, it, it almost keeps your, your, your job. Uh, and particularly something like the League Cup, you know, with Newcastle going in and playing in that. It's the first trophy you get to be able to go and win. And it has kept managers their jobs, even when they're struggling in the league. The FA Cup obviously goes further and further into the season. So there's no guarantees that that will keep it. But if you have a mid-table finish when you're expected to finish higher, but you do pick up silverware, often the owners will go, all right, we'll stick with you. You managed to have a good season and had a good cup run. And they'll stick with the managers. If they don't, if if they don't take this silverware seriously and just focus on the league, and then they're struggling, that's then the uh, the opportunity for owners to go. You know what? You've sacrificed the cups. You haven't performed in the league. Let's go and make a change. Mm. I think that's part of the reason why Pep takes it so seriously as well with the cups. You know, he loves domestic dominance, and some 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 managers like are having worked like under Martin O'Neill. He was very, very, very focused on domestic dominance and trying to be successful in cup competitions. And, you know, Leicester have got a great history in the League Cup. So, you know, I'm expecting them to go to Newcastle or play Newcastle when it be. Leicester are struggling like you wouldn't believe, but I'm hoping they go and dig in. They, they, They just got through in the FA Cup. I'm hoping they go and put a better performance in the League Cup. And I guess the other thing is, and I remember this from Man City, when you're mm. sort of building towards being a, a team that wants to win trophies, as we were back in, say, 2009, 10, 11, that first trophy is yeah. oh so important, isn't it, to win? doesn't matter what it is. When you've had a long wait for silverware, yeah, yeah, it gets you uh, momentum. Anyway, we'll see how Newcastle go uh, against Leicester yeah. in the Carabao Cup later today. Uh, Man United play Charlton as well. Broski, you've got a question about Liverpool. 
Um, oh, no, look, it was, yeah, I think with their draw against Wolves as well, the defensive issue is yeah. still being an issue for Jurgen Klopp. And, and, yeah. and I heard that, um, uh, where am I, where am I? Van Dyke. Van Dyke, yes, I read that. He's out for about a <laughs> month. That's not going to help. So, uh, and, and look. It doesn't. Uh, Klopp as well complaining uh, about replays as his latest little little moan after a game. I mean, how big is that? Is um, you know Van Dyke being out and and just where to now for Liverpool? Frosty, are you saying that Klopp moans? Are you saying he's a moaner? <laughs> well, I've been hearing Simon saying after every week that he's moaning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, to be fair, he, I mean, look, replays don't help, but they are part of. They are part of the history of it. And, you know, I, I would hate to see the replay taken away, especially for the smaller clubs. Absolutely. That might go and, and, and are successful in the first game and they get the chance to bring a team back to their place. The, the replays are a fundamental part of the, the, the competition. They're part of that cup. So, you know, just because, let's just say, you know, uh, uh, from from the games at the weekend, right? So if if Leicester beat Gillingham, right, at uh, 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 Gillingham, and that's great. But if it, if Gillingham could drag Jagger draw, get to come and play at Leicester, get a massive part of a gate receipt, you know, that then goes back into their budget, they shouldn't be denied that opportunity. Mm. They really shouldn't. Or even if Portsmouth. Portsmouth play Tottenham and they can jag a draw and they get, you know, they get every Tottenham back to Portsmouth. That's the way that the competition should focus. So I'm done with, you know, all the, you've got massive, massive squads now, particularly the big boys. So, and, and yes, they're picking up injuries, but they should have the depth to be able to cover that. And if they don't, that's their problem. Yeah. It, it, you know, the replays, it, go and win the first game. Put your put your big, big, big guns out to go and win the first game. Stop talking about, you know, players, players being overloaded. You've got huge budgets, huge squads. Compared to those boys that are banging away, playing 46 games down in League Two, getting absolutely annihilated, they'll go and play even more cup games. They'll play, they'll play two, three games a week if it meant that they could play the big boys. Yeah. So... Do one with your replay. I'm not into all that. <laughs> Keep the replay. We need the replay. Uh, it is very much the big clubs driving that discussion. I don't yeah. think it'll be too long before yeah. the Carabao Cup uh, goes the way of the dinosaur oh, as well. Got right on my soapbox. Yeah, no, I that's good, mate. Right we, we love that. We love that. Um, right. Man City hammered Chelsea. Now, you compiled a little bit of a list of us You'd, uh, for us. You think that Graham Potter is, is among a few coaches under pressure, and he's, he's not been there that long, has he? I know he hasn't, and he hasn't had to start. And the, but the expectations at Chelsea are, are that they'll go and win silverware, right? And and I think we touched on it a bit last week about you know they haven't got Abramovich there that's going to just go and dip in his wallet and go and and buy players. And you know they are linked to a few big name transfers, mm-hmm. but they're sitting tenth in the Premier League. They're, they're getting smashed in the cup competition. I rate Graham Potter as a manager, right? But is he going to be the one that's going to attract top, top, top talent? Is he the is he the right person for that? And also, like where they're sitting in tenth and they're not looking like they're going to qualify for Champions League for next season. Again, what players are going to want to go and be part of that? Mm. So it it might need a bigger name to go into Chelsea to fix it up, potentially to attract new players. They have, I mean. 
they've still got a great squad, but it's not performing. Yeah. And the, the other side of that is, are they not re- performing because that you know they they're not engaging with with this manager? And, and sometimes you just don't. Um, however, we saw how his Brighton team played, and it took time to get that. So I'm sure he'll be a success, but you know. A Chelsea going and getting thumped at Man City. It's not the first time a, a bigger team has gone there and had that happen to them. Mm. And we all know that uh, Chelsea do have an itchy trigger finger. At least they did on the Roman Abramovich. Mm. Um, Arsenal, of course, pr- cruised past Oxford on Monday night. They now uh, play Man City in the fourth round. Three metres between the two clubs coming up could be definitive uh, for both. Just to finish off, uh, Spenner, I want your views on yeah. on two separate players. Um, Gareth Bale announces retirement to the age of 33 uh, this week. How will he be remembered? And secondly, on a slightly more serious note, uh, the, the tragic passing of Gianluca Vialli, a player I know that you played against on more than one occasion. Yeah, yeah I actually played against Gareth Bale, believe it or not, in Did 2006. When he, wow. he was playing left-back when he was a left-back at Southampton. Wow. Um, and I was still at South End. So that was my last season at South End before I moved over. And yeah, this young kid comes flying past us. It's like, who the bloody hell is this? <laughs> and um, yeah, mate, his, his career has been incredible, right? And um, I, 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 I'd be really respectful if he'd have been playing for one of the bigger countries. He would have had a lot more World Cups. However, it was a definitive year for him this year to be part of getting Wales to a World Cup. And I'm so, so pleased for him and pleased for the supporters that they've got to celebrate that. But the same, you know, it, 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 he is Wales' best ever player. He, I mean, he's won five, won five Champions Leagues. That, that in itself sends a message, you know. He's, he's by far their best player. Yeah. Um, with regards to Viali, it, it it's really sad, right? You know, I'm very, very disappointing and unfortunate. And we're seeing some really, really good people. And he was a good person as well as a good manager. He you was. know, you start to see some of the reviews that play, you know, former colleagues, whether that's in the media or in the game and through the Chelsea dressing room and the rapport he had. Yeah, it's it's... I'm getting to that age, mate, and I'm really sad about it. That, mm. You know, you start seeing people dying around you that you know you used to play against. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's tragic. But... It's tragic. Um, mm. I'll just give you just give you a little Gianluca Vialli story of my own to to finish off. Um, I'd worked with Vialli when he was manager at Watford, uh, and I was at ITV, and I was pitch side reporter. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I got I got to know him sort of a reasonable uh, amount in, in a professional capacity. And he was a smoker, and I was a smoker, so he'd, he'd, he'd catch fags off me, along with Graham Ricks, who was his number two. But he had this, this little thing about English idioms that he didn't quite understand. Uh, and once I'd, I asked him ahead of a very important game, uh, you know, is, is this definitive for your season or something along those lines? And he said, yes, yes. We, if we no win today, we have had our fish. And I said, what? <laughs> Do you mean your chips? And he went, ah, yes, yes, chips. He was a lovely, lovely man. And I'm so sad that he's passed. Hey, uh, Spenner, thanks for joining yeah. us as ever, mate. And um, we'll, uh, we'll speak to you next week. Cheers, mate. Lovely, guys. Thanks, mate. <laughs> That's uh, Spencer Pryor in New Zealand.
Yes, time to talk women's football again with Alicia Carnabas. Evening, Alicia. Hey, Alicia. Hi, guys. How are you? Very good. Good, good to have you back good. on the show. Uh, let's uh, start with the A-League women. Uh, Sydney FC are top, albeit having played a game more. They beat Newcastle 4-2 on the road. Now, Princess Abini uh, on the score sheet. So she's moving closer to 100 games in uh, the women's competition. She's one player you wanted to talk about tonight. Yeah, look, Princess Sabini, what a story. I mean, 100 caps uh, for any club or any league is fantastic. And she's just one of those success stories, I think, that we kind of look over a bit um, as far as development goes in our in our women's game. She's come through the Sydney FC system from, I think, 12 years old. And she's 22 now, so 10 years in the system. And you can just see how much benefit that's been to a player of her calibre just being in and around professional football. Um, she's obviously had a few opportunities with the national team as well, which has been amazing for her. But at 22 years old, um, amazing achievement, 100 yeah. games for your club. So really, really fantastic. And, yeah, Sydney and Western United tomorrow, that's that's the clash, right? That's yeah. the, the top of the table and the one that I think everyone's watching in the league. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a shame that it's five o'clock on a, on a weekday, really. <laughs> yeah, it, Saturday afternoon would have been a bit better, I think, for everyone. But um, it's it's one of those where that they're on the road, both teams, and it's just about getting it in. So will be an interesting, interesting matchup between both of those teams. But just going back to Princess Sabini, I mean, if she can net a goal or two in that match, I think that'll be one to remember for her. Absolutely. And just on that match still, another uh, two of the goal scorers in, in what was an incredible start for Sydney. I mean, they were 3-0 up inside the first seven minutes. Um, Mackenzie Hawksby, I mean, she has been um, called up to the Matildas once before, didn't play. You think she's on the radar for Tony Gustafsson ahead of the Women's World Cup and potentially Sarah Hunter as well, who also got on the score sheet? Yeah, all of those players, Sarah Hunter, uh, Mackenzie Hawksby and Princess Sabini, they're still quite young, right? So that's really, I guess, um, the advantage that they have is that absolutely, I think, in the next four years, they're going to be integral parts of, of the national team for sure. Whether or not it's it's those types of players right now that Tony's looking for is, is anyone's guess. Um, I think at this stage leading up to the World Cup, in, in six months' time, of course, every player is going to be pushing for, for one of those 23 to 26 spots, depending on, on the coach and how many people or players he's taking. But ultimately, I think they're just a little bit too young to be in Tony's scope for the World Cup. Um, he might surprise us, though, and bring them into the squad with upcoming matches. But I think they'll just miss out this year. But future future years, World Cups and Olympics, I think absolutely we're going to see those names for sure. Mm, absolutely. Uh, we should make mention as well of uh, Madison Haley, who's having a stellar season, a goal of the month contender uh, in the opening minutes. Um, some breaking news, incidentally. This is from Tim Coglin, and I'm I'm trying to find confirmation of this at the moment. Uh, yeah. Tegan Collister and Rola Badawaya have today signed with Sydney FC. That's according to Tim Coglin. Did you know that? I heard a rumour. Heard a rumor about. I heard a rumor. <laughs> We're back to your '80s tunes again. You know, just, just throwing it back, Simon. Throwing it back. No, I heard a rumor late this afternoon that that was happening, and there's been a few signings uh, with a couple of clubs. But mm. did hear that Sydney um, have got a few additional signings, but good ones as okay. well. But 
Madison Haley, I think, uh, for me, is one of the standout players of of the league at the moment. She's incredible to watch, really dynamic, and I really like what I see uh, in her, albeit not not an Aussie national, but um, fantastic to watch. And I think Sydney FC just bolstering their squad for the second half of the season. Yeah, and uh, one player on her way out of Sydney FC, Ellie Brush, who has signed for Canberra. Um, Western United maintain that perfect record, Alicia, beating Wellington 1-0. Yet another late goal. They make such a habit of that, don't they? Seems to be a trait of, of the team, and I think it's it's definitely a quality. I think people can shy away from that a bit and, and say, well, they're always leaving it late or they don't seem to score their goals early. I think it's actually a strength. Um, if you can actually score goals in the the latter stage of the game when teams are fatigued. I think it's absolutely a strength in that last half hour. Where where I think Western United may come unstuck is against some good quality defence and some organised tactical teams as well where they'll hold them out and they won't be able to to quite infiltrate that last 30 minutes as they've been doing so far in the season. I think teams will start to work that out if they haven't already. So mm. It's it's definitely um, something to watch with Western United. I think if they can start to get some goals early, that's just going to work for them a bit better towards the latter stage of the season as well. They're certainly having a great debut season, and they've just signed Angie Beard as well, mm. uh, which is a great acquisition to have. Now, Western Sydney Wanderers finally got a win. It's a bit of a surprise for you that it came against Melbourne City. Yeah, I think I think for most people it was absolutely a surprise. But can I just say as well? Um, well and truly overdue. I think they'll be happy with that. Western Sydney, we're talking nearly, well, just about a year with with no with no win, and they're a young squad, so I think that's a confidence booster as well, particularly against a team like City. But um, if they can build on this, I think that'd be great for their confidence and and great for Cat Smith too, getting her first win um, as a new coach. Alicia, the A-League crowds, I think in general, both on the men's and, and the women's have, um, you know, continued to struggle this season. Given there's a World Cup, um, you know, in the in the women's game around the corner, how do we incentivize fans to, you know, to show up to, to games from week to week in a World Cup year? And if you could tell the men as well, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish I had the magic wand. I think it's something that we talk about and, and, Football lovers, I think we sound like we're whinging about it too half the time. It's just part and parcel of, of the love of the game. But um, look, if anything, I think what we're missing the most um, in this country with local football is the connection with with the fans. That's that's ultimately what's missing. I've noticed it quite a bit um, in and around the women's game, in particular with, with young girls coming through in development squads and systems and when I talk to them, they can't tell me a player that plays for the Brisbane Raw yeah. up here in Queensland. They can't tell me anyone outside of Samantha Kerr that plays for the Matildas. Um, and we're talking girls who are 12 years old playing in a, a SAP system, essentially. So they're, you know, supposedly fit the future of our game in terms of development. So that's that to me is always a bit concerning because growing up, I think we knew players in in your local team and for me it was the Brisbane Strikers it was Frank Farina it was Rob Brown Mm. you knew those guys Andy Harper they all played um you knew who played in your local league and I think that's what that that disconnect is what stops people from buying the ticket making the time to come down to a game and it's it's tricky it's not a it's not a quick fix there's a lot to do with marketing endorsement and all of those connective the connective fascia, if we can call it, of business. In, An in identity. 
and identity. Correct. That's the key, isn't it? It's about having that emotional connection with your club that sticks Just, you it's to the it. Culture. Yeah. It's the culture of, of our game. So it's it's not an overnight fix, but it's definitely something that for me is the key to what's missing is is exactly that, is that connection with the fans that we need to to work out. Let's hope we can fix it quickly. Uh, final one, Alicia, for tonight. Uh, there is some talk that uh, Hayley Razzo might be heading to Spain uh, to play for Real Madrid. You got any inside info? And w- would that be a good move for her? Wow. Look, I've got a big smile on my face about this one because I think we've seen so many of our national team players in the UK, which has been fantastic for the last few years. I think the Spanish league has gone leaps and bounds as well. And to see one of our own playing for a club like Real Madrid, I just think it's fantastic mm. um, if that's the case. I'm hearing, though, that it's after the World Cup so, uh, next season. Um, so that I think we're going to see quite a bit of movement after the World Cup, which is quite natural. We see it all the time, different clubs coming in and signing players. So if Hayley manages to, to make that transition, I think it's going to be fantastic for her game. I think the Spanish league will suit the way she plays as well. So I think it's exciting. If it comes to fruition, it's it's Got my tick, basically. I think it's great. Yeah, maybe create some of those role models that you were talking about for the young girls so they mm. know who the players are that they're watching. Exactly. Hey, uh, brilliant. Thanks, Alicia. Talk to you next week. See you, Alicia. Thanks, guys. See you, mate. Uh, that's Alicia Carnabas with the women's game. Off to a quick break, then we will answer some of your texts. Lots of you have messaged us on the text line tonight. Thank you so much once again for all your engagement. Uh, we will be uh, announcing winners of our A-League ticket prize and also one of the T-shirts that Broski is wearing tonight, which features the image of both of us with long beards. Uh, Angus in Malvern Broski has uh, texted us, uh, with the derby being replayed, all it, shows is, uh, all it shows teams is that if you invade a pitch, momentum against you, it gets replayed. How does Nani play if he's injured? And what if players leave strokes sign in the transfer window? City should have had three points. It was the easiest punishment to give. I don't know about that. Do you? I, I do. I agree. Do you agree? I think do you? It is the easiest thing of all okay. the of all the sanctions and all the things they could have hit them with. I mean, the one that hurts is right. This goes straight to Melbourne City. They were winning one nil anyway, um, mm. and that's it. You lose the game. Okay, fair well, point. What, what's your argument on the other? I side? don't know. I just think sporting integrity. Now, look, it, it's not the players' fault that the you know the fans invaded the pitch and and did what they did, and we don't mm. need to go over that again. Um, they don't. They deserve the chance to to sort out the game on the pitch. Well, I think when you look at the points that have been suspended, I think that's what gives not the players, but that's what gives the club that um, you know chance to make sure it doesn't happen again. You, they could easily have been suspended points straight away, which yeah. would have hurt the players and the, and the club, and that would have been the wrong thing to do. I, I think. In that case right there, it is an easy one. Again, that's in my opinion. Yeah. You, you take the points off them. Um, Melbourne City were winning, game over. And again, it just sort of makes sure that that doesn't happen again, which is what we want. Okay. Uh, thanks for your message, Angus. Uh, this one from Theodore in Upway. Where's Upway? Any ideas? No. Mark Thompson can try and find out where it is. Uh, some quick fire questions. Obviously, heaps of guesswork in these, uh, says Theo. Will an Aussie player be nominated for the Ballon d'Or in the next 10 years and win it in the next 50? You can ponder that one, Broski. Mm-hmm. Will Australia win the World Cup in the next 100 years? Will an Aussie player be a top, win a top five league within 10 years and a Champions League in the next 20? And will an Aussie coach win a top five league in the next 10 years? 
Well, I'll answer the last one. I think Ange has that possibility <laughs> of doing so. One. Yes. You can have the tricky ones, Broski. Oh, go. Look, let, let's go with the uh, <laughs> the next 10 years, Ballon d'Or. Oh, I think that's going to be tough. Look, realistically, have we ever Garang? had a player nominated in the top, say, uh, 10? Off the top of my head, I wouldn't know. And we've had some great players, our golden generation. Mm. Look at the players we had there. I, I don't know. Wasn't Massimo Luongo nominated one year? Recently, after the Asian Cup in 2015? Maybe, it, I mean, he didn't maybe. win it. it but. No, and it would have been a long shot. Look, I, I just yeah. think given where uh, football is at the moment in Australia, I think it, it, it's just okay. we're nowhere near it. Will Australia win the World Cup next 100 years? 100 years? Mm. Um, I think, oh, look, 100 years, we, we could. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Aussie player win a top five league within 10, Champions League next 20. Tough one again. I think we we went through this. So only Craig Johnston in the days of the old first division, Mm -hmm. Mark Bosnich, Robbie Slater won Premier League titles. And we were struggling to think of any others in the top five leagues of Europe. Mm. We need more players going to those leagues first. Yeah. So, yeah. Could someone like Harry Suter, is that the most likely? If he gets the big Uh, move. Big Harry, yeah. Well, and he could as well. I mean, he's, you know, reportedly being linked with Leicester, with Wolves. Uh, one or two others, so that could be uh, interesting. Um, this one from Angus and Malvin again. Angus has been busy on the text line tonight. Uh, sorry for the essay of a message. What if we didn't have a national second division, but still a kind of a relaxation? We could have the league split in half with almost two conferences. The league would be split by finishing place the year before. So with 12 teams, if you finish one to six, you can only finish one to six the next year to punish teams who don't do well enough. With relegation, it could be the sixth-place team that's relegated and the seventh team promoted with a 5v8 relegation playoff. I'm not sure I completely follow the logic there. But the two-conference idea, I don't necessarily mind. Do you? Yeah, right, right, right. I mean, generally, conferences, we're talking an east and a west. But mm-hmm. in this case, um, yeah, I, I, it's an interesting idea. Um, I don't mind the idea of it. But no, I, I mean, one to six, that means you're, you're playing... Well, only five other teams, or you are no, still no, they're, they're still everybody. playing the other teams, from the, f- as in they do in in America. They have East and West Conference, okay. but they still play each other. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, look, I think if you finished in that seven to twelve position, um, I don't know if if the fans mm. have much to to want to go and support if you're not challenging for that mm. top spot. It's an interesting concept, Angus. Uh, yeah. Somebody's texted in no name in this. Tim Cahill was nominated for Ballon d'Or. Didn't know that. Uh, final one. Um, again, oh, Adrian says this. Sorry, I didn't think there was a name on it. Uh, do you think Rene Mullerstein is an option for Sydney FC? Well, Steve Gorick is still there at the moment. <laughs> yeah. uh, but he said he's watched a lot of Australian football over the last couple of years and has a connection to the club through Graham Arnold. I'm not sure he wants to leave the UK, Rene, does he? Look, and and that is that that's what if it was put to him it would come down to. But um, yeah. look, I, I don't know. In terms of Sydney's situation right now, um, you know, you're right. Corrick is still in charge at the moment. You've got Robbie Stanton there as well, um, and and you just don't know if there's anyone in in mind to take over immediately. Uh, would he take over? Um, I think he's comfortable doing what he's doing yeah. at the moment. Uh, and uh, no name on this text. Wales' best player is Ian Rush who, according to Barry Glendenning of The Guardian, is Mr. Goals. Yeah, that's a fair comment as well. Uh, quick ones on the Aussies abroad, Broski. Uh, Garen Quall set to be loaned to Hearts, choosing them over Reading, reportedly, where he's going to link up, of course, with a few other Aussies. Is that the right move for him? Um, look, given the fact there's a few other Aussies there, it'll be easier for him to settle in, which is good. Um, and we were just chatting about that, the three of us, uh, about that move. Um, and look, I think we're all of the same opinion. It is a good one. Hearts is a good club. Uh, very physical league, which is an area of his game that mm. um, 
could do with a, a bit of, um, well, he's played nine games, right? 10 or, or 12 games um, in the A-League. So, yeah, I think a good physical league like that could be good for him. And the fact that he's going there from, you know, online from Newcastle, um, you know, is, is a good thing. It, might, it would have been difficult if he's coming direct from here. But, yeah. you know, th- there is that backing behind him to get game time, which is what we want him to get. And he's pretty close geographically to Newcastle, so they can keep an eye on him as well. Uh, talking to Hearts, they drew with St Mirren at the weekend. There was a real Aussie flavour to the Buddies goal. Keanu Backus tripped by Cammy Devlin and Ryan Strain scored the free kick for St Mirren with the aid of a bit of a deflection as well. Uh, as mentioned, uh, Harry Sutar being linked with a big move to either West Ham or Leicester. Wolves also said to be interested. Uh, 20-year-old Aussie keeper Nicholas Bilokapic making his full senior debut for Huddersfield away to Preston in the FA Cup third round. Unfortunately, it wasn't a happy day for him. Preston winning 3-1. Uh, and as you might have read, two goals and an assist for Alex Robertson, son of former soccer remark for Manchester City in Premier League 2 against Arsenal in a 6-0 win. Watch out for him over the coming months. A quick roundup from overseas. Barcelona extending their top, uh, their leader top La Liga after a 1-0 win over Atletico Madrid thanks to Usman Dembele. Uh, Real Madrid slipping four points behind. A shock loss to Villarreal, just their second defeat of the season. Uh, in Italy, Napoli maintaining their seven-point lead at the top of Serie A with a 2-0 win over Sampdoria. Victor Osimen again on target, his 10th of the season, which means he leads the Golden Boot race. Juventus defeated Udinese 1-0, but AC Milan were denied by a 90th-minute equaliser by Tammy Abraham for Roma as they drew 2-2. In Portugal, Benfica maintaining their six-point lead at the top. They beat Portimonense 1-0. Sporting Braga remain second after Ricardo Horta scored twice in a 4-0 win against Santa Clara. And it's as you were in Holland with the top three all drawing. Feyenoord held to a one-all draw by Utrecht and getting out of jail in the 90th minute thanks to a goal by Ali Reza Jahanbakash. While Ajax drew 1-1 with Nek Nijmegen and PSV ended goalless in the Rotterdam derby with Sparta. They'll meet again in the Dutch Cup tomorrow morning. That's your Euro Roundup. We're off to our final break before Paul Williams and Football Asia. And then we'll wrap up the show and give you our prize winners. See you soon. It's time for Football Asia with Paul Williams. Yes, we round out the show as usual with Football Asia alongside Paul Williams of the Asian Game podcast. Evening, Paolo, and a very happy birthday to you. Oh, happy birthday, mate. <laughs> Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, uh, 21 again, I think, is, uh, is the correct <laughs> Nothing correct gets past yeah. us. We, we would have had a cake <laughs> if you were inside the studio, but never mind. Uh, let's talk Asian football. So Vietnam are through to the final of the AFF Mitsubishi Electric Cup, as probably predicted. Uh, Thailand and Malaysia playing the second leg of their semi for the right to meet them tonight. How does that one go? It's very finely poised because Malaysia lead 1-0 on aggregate after the, the first leg in, in Kuala Lumpur. So it's going to be a fascinating second leg in Bangkok tonight because most people, whenever there's a tournament in Southeast Asia, have Thailand as one of the favourites. But both of these sides are depleted from what would ordinarily be their, their full-strength squad. So it's a, it's a really fascinating battle. Um, you'd, you'd fancy... Thailand would be favourites at home. The stadium is sold out, as you would expect for the, the semi-final of, of this competition as well. But is it the Rajamangala? Over to, Rajamangala, is it, Paul? It's not the Rajamangala. No. It's the Tamasat Stadium, um, oh. the, the smaller one in uh, in Bangkok. I think the Rajamangala is uh, is unavailable for uh, 
for some reason, unfortunately. But they have still sold out the uh, the Tamasat Stadium, which I think holds about forty or fifty thousand. So still will be a um, a fantastic atmosphere in Bangkok tonight. And as I said, it's hard to predict which way this one is going to go. Sort of Malaysia had a good period of that of that first game, but then Thailand came back into it, couldn't find a way through. Brendan Gan, um, as we've spoken about before, he was really um, instrumental for Malaysia in that game. So. Um, yeah, it could be another Thailand-Malaysia final. That's probably the favourites, but yeah, never rule out Malaysia. I'd, I'd fancy they might be able to get something um, tonight and go through to the final. And the 25th edition of the Golf Cup is underway in Iraq. It is a, a very prestigious tournament in the region. Um, and Iraq has started quite well so far in their opening games. They have. They they got a nil-all draw in their opening game, which was probably a little bit underwhelming for them in their opening game. But they got a important and big 2-0 win last night against Saudi Arabia, who, despite it being a, a second-string Saudi squad, still came in as one of the favourites for this tournament, given you know the strength of Saudi football over the last couple of years. It was unusually for a match um, played in Iraq, played in torrential rain. So it was a... a horrifically waterlogged pitch most of the, the ball was spent uh, in the air most of the time because it was impossible to play the uh, the ball along the pitch given how waterlogged that the pitch was but a huge win for Iraq so they're undefeated it's so fantastic to see an international tournament back in Iraq they've been crying out for some competitive football to be played there FIFA have promised so many times to take a World Cup qualifier there and and then pull it away at the last moment it's been full stadiums at every game. The fan sites around the city of Basra have been full. The hospitality that the Iraqis are, are putting on um, from all reports from the people that are there is absolutely second to none. And it, it seems like such a fun, joyous occasion for the Iraqi people who have waited so long. So it's it's fantastic to see. Sure is. <clears throat> I think that crowd was 75,000, wasn't it, between Iraq and Saudi Arabia, certainly yeah. full stadium, anyway, which is incredible. Um, in the other group, Paul, Qatar play, uh, play Bahrain tonight. Uh, they're under a new coach, of course. Uh, Felix Sanchez uh, was punted after the World Cup disaster. And Bruno Pinheiro, the Portuguese, appointed on New Year's Eve. Has he changed much? I think he is still just a temporary coach at this stage. He was their under-23 coach um, under sort of Felix Sanchez. He was part of that whole regime and he was the under 23 coach and he was given this um uh, this golf cup tournament to to do anyway before felix uh was punted so whether he continues to stay on he was part of that sort of spanish group that they had in charge but he has given a lot of um a lot of debuts and of course it is a, a weakened squad as well a lot of the players that played in that world cup have um, have been given the the time off so um he's given out a, a lot of uh, a lot of debuts um to a lot of players they got a 2-0 win um overnight last night but they've got a lot of um, I guess work to do to rehabilitate their reputation after a disappointing campaign and I guess this golf cup is the first opportunity they've got to do that and a strange development has come up in um, Cristiano Ronaldo I mean we've been waiting for him to make his Al Nasser debut but um, he's been hit with a two-game ban and um, it looks like PSG's coming to town so he may not even be making his debut in an Al Nasser jersey what's happening there yeah, obviously, before he left Manchester United, he got handed that two-match suspension for, I think, knocking the uh, the mobile phone out of the fan, of the hands of an Everton fan, I think it was, as he as he left the pitch. And he hadn't served yet that, that two-game suspension. And that does carry over to um, whichever club he joined next. That was Al Nasser. So he is suspended for their first uh, two league fixtures. And 
what I find interesting about this is I took a screen grab of their fixtures when he was first announced because it was a peculiar quirk of the, the timing of the draw that uh, I think it was something like eight of their next nine games were away from home or, or something along those lines. And having checked the fixture again, I think they've altered it slightly because after these two away games that they play, they've now inserted a home fixture in there that wasn't there a week or so ago. So <laughs> What a surprise. It, it looks like they've... Uh, They've massaged the draw a little bit to make sure that his debut is going to be at home. Otherwise, it would have been away against a, a lowly side, Al Fata. And I'm pretty sure that's not the debut that they had in mind for, <laughs> no. for Cristiano Ronaldo. So the 22nd of January against Al Etifak uh, looks like being his debut. Okay. Uh, in China, as we reported last week, the league all done in rather controversial fashion. But uh, the top two teams... Uh, played off in the cup quarterfinals and Shandong Taishan got their revenge on my new favourite club, Wuhan Three Towns. <laughs> they did 6-1 on aggregate. They did that so pretty comfortably. Wuhan obviously had had already sealed the main prize. I guess they, they took their foot off the pedal. They'd already qualified for the Asian Champions League. So there was essentially just really nothing to play for it except for a little bit of pride and some silverware for them. So, yeah, fascinating um, four teams in the, uh, the semifinals. You've got Shandong, uh, you've got Zhejiang, who's as well, I think, finished third on the table just ahead of Shanghai Port. And then the two Shanghai clubs, Shanghai Port and Oscar is back. He's returned to China and made his return in a, in a 4-0 win in their second league victory. And Shanghai Shenhua as well. So it, um, it it looms to be a fascinating series of, uh, of quarterfinals, which are uh, sorry, semifinals, which I think are played tomorrow, if, I'm, if yeah. I'm correct. Yeah, it could be an all Shanghai final with Shenhua and Shanghai ports, both in the last four. Uh, final one before we let you go, Paul. Uh, Arsene Wenger is apparently getting involved in football in India uh, to help develop the next generation of talent. Obviously, he won't be involved in politics because he's told us all that uh, the two don't mix. But he's been <laughs> he's been asked by the AIFF to get involved in uh, the next generation of talent development. Yeah, the, the AIF, they announced a huge sort of um, roadmap for the, the future of Indian football over the last seven days. Um, there's been... And there's so many parallels between Indian football and Australian football. There's been... Uh, a lot of tension in Indian football between the established clubs of the I-League and the, the new order of the Indian Super League. They've been crying out for promotion and relegation and a roadmap for the future of Indian football, which all sounds familiar for, for fans of the Australian game as well. They finally released a, a blueprint over the last, um, as I said, last seven days um, to encompass everything to do with Indian football from, you know, from player development to the, the development of professional clubs. Um, they've tried to, you know, hasten up the, the process. Japan has their 100-year plan for 100 professional clubs. India are aspiring to get 100 professional clubs in the next 25 years, which is a remarkable time frame to, to try and achieve that. And there is a huge now push to try and um, yeah, really professionalise the game in India. And Arsene Wenger is one of those that they've called upon, obviously, with his links with, with FIFA. And FIFA are involved in, uh, in Indian football heavily as well. So mm. it'll be fascinating to see. There's a lot of ambitious targets that um, it'll be very difficult to meet but um yeah can't fault their ambition that's for sure absolutely wow 100 clubs in india if they get to that then they're going to be a threat for sure uh, maybe by that point we'll be at 14 clubs let's hope so uh paul thanks as ever and uh, we'll speak to you next week mate thanks paul cheers guys appreciate it